This is the downward spiral. All right, and welcome to yet another episode of the Downward Spiral Podcast. This has got to be episode 12 or 13 or something like that. You're not sure? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I'm your host, at Asteroid Phil S. With me, the lovely Kate. Hmm. Thank you. This is part of our week of settling all the family business. Talking about Tom Brady this week. And right now, we're going to talk about diversity minorities, women, in the Marvel Comics Cinematic Universe. This is a much debated topic. And we're going to cover it in under an hour. Pretty much. The debate rages on on whether or not Marvel is doing enough in their movies to promote uh, strong female characters, especially in a world where since 2014, women have been the majority... Uh, of the readers of their comic books to begin with. My personal opinion is, at this particular point, Marvel is not perfect, but they're Mm -hmm. certainly better than everyone else that's out there, and they are making strides to get better into their next phases. Right, but just because something is is better than whatever else is available does not mean they shouldn't be held to a higher standard, which I'm sure you agree with. I agree with that, but I also agree that everybody needs to be held to the same standard. Because everybody bitches and moans about Marvel and how Marvel doesn't have enough strong female characters. Well, I mean, you know, you can can give credit where credit is due, certainly. But, you know, the the slippery slope there is giving somebody a free pass to not improve. Or to not progress. Right. I think, I definitely don't want to give Marvel a free pass here. You know, Marvel has a lot of ambitious projects that are coming up, especially... Uh, the Black Panther, mm-hmm. uh, Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, where you're going to see uh, basically that Marvel really needs to branch out in terms of their uh, diversity. And I think that they're trying to make strides to it. I mean, Marvel was working extremely hard to try and get Ava DuVernay, uh, director of Selma, to mm. direct the Black Panther movie. And ultimately, either because of leaks or philosophical differences, mm-hmm. they decided not to work together on the project. Um, that's not to say that Marvel's not going to do a great job with Black Panther. It just means that Ava's vision was a little bit different. Okay. So, all right. So, I guess I guess it kind of depends. For me, anyway, it depends on on what you think your the priority should be. If it should be uh, loyalty to original source material. You know, and, and and the comic book canon that Marvel and Stan Lee have so painstakingly over decades put into effect, and the you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe is now mm-hmm. trying to really honorably bring into a new medium. Like these movies are lovingly made; they really are, and and they've so far been overwhelmingly well received. Yep. Or. Um, if it's if your priority is storytelling, which particularly for Hollywood, which is loyal when it suits them and disloyal when it suits them and cares about storytelling when it suits them and cares about the Almighty Dollar when it suits them, really I think the Almighty Dollar covers all of those things in terms of convenience. Yeah. Um, Hollywood has never had a problem 
going in a totally different direction than the original canon before when it was lucrative. And that, you know, that may not be the priority now. They may, this may be a new leaf. But it feels as if, particularly when, you know, Avengers came out and um, Iron Man 2 came out and, and the public was kind of screaming for a Black Widow movie. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. The public was screaming for a Black Widow movie and is still to and this is day. Still, right. What I would say about that is that the traditional Hollywood route mm-hmm. would be is, to deliver. Is, yeah, is to make the Black Widow movie. They've done that before. The movie was Electra. Yeah. Coming okay. out of Daredevil, everyone's like, Jennifer Garner is Electra. Yeah. They made that movie. You know, they and, made. And ruined Electra. Right, and ruined Electra. They made the Halle Berry Catwoman movie. And ruin Catwoman, yeah. and the problem is, is like those those are movies that are made in search of the dollar, and Marvel's philosophy under Kevin Feige has been to we have a plan. We're sticking with the plan, right? We plan have for a, a reason. Yeah, we have a plan, and but it's even more than just we have a plan. It's we want to do right by our characters. We want to take the original source material that we have, and we want to search those service those characters correctly and service them well. Now, someone like Black Widow, traditionally in the comics, has been a C-list sidekick character Mm -hmm. in terms of where she falls in the Marvel Universe. She In the hierarchy. Right, in the hierarchy. And she's a fantastic character. Particularly as portrayed by Johansson. Like, Johansson is blowing it out of the fucking water. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think uh... Like, not since Indiana Jones <laughs> has an actor and a character become so, like, beautifully synonymous, I feel like. It's just, like, she's just totally, like, taken it. Well, she is to Black Widow what Robert Downey Jr. is to Iron Man. Yeah, sure. You know, I don't know, Indiana but Jones. But he's also, but... I mean, well, Robert Downey Jr. is also playing Robert Downey Jr. Like, right. let's be honest here. Right, but, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is the reason that we have all these movies to begin with, because he blew it out of the water and... In 2008 in Iron Man. Yeah, but, I mean, it's... Okay, so then then your point, you know, that, that making movies for the sake of making movies gets nobody nowhere, like, it's it, it kind of... Every time he plays Iron Man, it gets a little more stale. Like a, li- like a fraction. You almost can't... You almost can't perceive it because he is so very good. Right. No, I... But it's... I agree with you. Yeah. And here, here's where Kevin Feige, I believe, deserves the public's trust is he's phasing Iron Man out. Like, he's yeah. doing... He's going to have Iron Man in the Civil War movie mm-hmm. uh, next spring. Because he can't not, really. Yeah, right, because that's what, yeah. you know, the storyline demands. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I know, but then, like... But after that, he's going to fade away for a while until <laughs> the next Avengers movie yeah. comes out. Okay, and then three I or four years down the, line. the idea that he's coming back and doing the... F- fucking, you know, I'm getting too old for this shit. Like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to like I, I don't think you will. I don't I think you I will. Don't. Well, so here, here's the thing, and here's the beauty of the Iron Man character, is Robert Downey Jr., when he has to play Iron Man, mm-hmm. he's on a soundstage dubbing the language while they're CGI-ing what the robot's doing. Yeah. So really, like in terms of the f- like the physicality of what he has to do in the role, 
is very small. No, no, I mean the character. I'm not talking oh, yeah. about Robert Downey Jr., the actor. I'm talking about, like, I just don't want to see, you know, all of a sudden, like, musical crescendo. We look over and there's fucking Iron Man and Tony Stark makes some crack about how he's getting too old for this shit. And, you know, with, like, some... The suit creaks or something. <laughs> like, I don't want to yeah. fucking see that trope. I understand. I think in the, in the universe they're building, though, what'll happen is... If that's actually something that they do, you'll see probably either Evangeline Lilly or whoever they cast as yeah. Captain Marvel. Um, I thought they had a Captain Marvel already. They have not cast Captain Marvel yet. Oh. Um, they are working on casting that and finding a director for it. You'll see the stronger female characters kind of step up because that's really kind of what they're launching into. You know, a lot of people were saying, I read a lot of think pieces about the Ant-Man movie, which I very much enjoyed. But the think pieces themselves were talking about why couldn't it have just been a Wasp movie. Fair, fair question. Because Evangeline Lilly spends the entire movie basically being like, I can do all the shit that you're training this guy to do already. Yeah. The reason for that that I will, yeah. that I will say is because you have other characters in play. You have Michael Douglas's Henry Pym, who's scarred by the loss of his wife, who they also left the door open to bring her into the universe at some point. Yeah, given that somebody can already return from that... From that realm. They that just realm, gotta yeah. figure out a way to find her in that realm. Right. So you can bring Janet Van Dyne back. You have Hope Van Dyne already set up in the mid credit scene you know, with a wasp suit that they're going to design for her. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed... That um, motif throughout the movie. I, I really, you know, as a d- d- fucking angry, impotent feminist, that theme of like, does is nobody else annoyed by this? That I can do all of this. Sh- I already know how to do all of this shit, and yeah. I have some old man in my face telling me, no, no, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think that's a good. I mean, like, is that not? Aggravating to all of you out there, and you know, a million women scream back, "Yes!" Yeah, and I think, and that's why it's such. I think it's such a really cool moment where finally Henry tells her how her mother died. You know, basically preventing a nuclear attack. Yeah, and how he just he had mixed mixed in the idea of losing her with that. Yeah. And, and was just I mean, trying to protect her. Yeah, they and her response to that is basically like, well, why didn't you just fucking tell me? Yeah. And we could have done this so already. It's like a grand men are stupid theme. Yeah. Pretty much throughout that. Or maybe just he's stupid. I think it's really just that he's stupid. <laughs> stupid and stubborn. Stupid and, and kind of stubborn and just like doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, but sure, he's a genius already. Uh, you know, and then it becomes like, oh, well, it's not really a, it's not really a, a women are prevented from. From being as capable as they are thing It's a father-daughter thing And father wants to protect daughter And that's okay Yeah, but But think about it At at the end, he realizes That it wasn't okay And he shows her the wasp suit And says, we're gonna build this for you And what's her response? What? It's about damn time About damn time, yeah, exactly and exa- and, exactly. and it is And you're going to see her going forward And uh, Kevin Feige has already said she's going to play a big role In uh, at least One of their phase three films I will um, tell you I was, I was nervous when 
I learned that Joss Whedon was leaving the Marvel Cinematic Universe because um, uh, he's been an unparalleled champion for powerful women in fantasy, science fiction, and fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves women. He loves all of the women. He loves... the. I mean, like, you could see it in Firefly. There's a beautiful array of women. There's yep. the cute little quirky techno woman. There's the gracefully promiscuous woman. There's the powerful warrior woman. Like, he loves women so much. He champions them so beautifully in fiction. And I genuinely feared for this franchise. Yeah, and I think... I think one thing that we've seen is we've seen in some of the other franchises, the Captain America franchise specifically, um, in Winter Soldier, they showed yeah. that they are able to write for Black Widow just as well as Joss Whedon is, yeah. and have her. You know, obviously Scarlett Johansson's portrayal is you know phenomenal. Of course. Um, so I think that they have a very strong talent bench, and then you also still have. Joss as an executive producer he's not involved with the day to day show running but he's involved with the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. franchise yeah but he's notoriously he's a notorious busybody like I don't I don't see him you know sitting on his hands anytime yeah. soon well he's got you know he's got younger brother Jed as one of oh, the yes. showrunners it's Jed and his wife um, but the thing is is if you look at the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. franchise it's a franchise entirely in the same way that Firefly was. It's entirely constructed around strong female characters. Right. Uh, which is not changing anytime soon. And I, and I don't want to conflate the television universe with the movie universe because there's not going to be a lot of overlap lot between of overlap, the two. Yeah. Just between, that one guy. Yeah. That one back from the dead guy. Yeah. Yeah. Who's not allowed to go back in the movies now. He's not, <laughs> that's fair. Joss is like, I killed him. He's dead. Deal with it. And Jed was like, I will. Yeah. Um, but getting, bla- getting back to Black Widow for a second. Um, so so kind of my, my whole point on storytelling versus canon. From a purely storytelling point of view, uh, you have an incredible wealth of valuable material with Black Widow's story. And I know you you've said to me that there's just there's just more to more to depict with other characters that Marvel has on its short list right now and she's just kind of she doesn't really have as much to talk about yet. Well, she she works better as uh to to use the metaphor, she works better as the web holding everything together. Yeah, and as um, as kind of the yeah, I mean it's You a, know, with the loss of Agent Coulson to the television universe. Yeah. So, so, and, and that also, that, that makes up a, a large part of her character is her mysteriousness. Yes. Like, you don't want her as a character too exposed, too opened up, too explored. Yeah. Because then you lose some of that edge. Right. That she's so... The that, femme fatale. The mysterious so femme fatale. She's not even really a femme fatale. She's just like, she's just a fucking boss. She just shows up, gets the job done without gadgetry. Right. Well, it was, I mean, she has gadgets. Well, yeah. No. All right. So not without gadgetry. Without. Without. Um, without powers. Without powers. Yeah. Without. Without super this and that. So she just she's doing her fucking job. Like that's her whole thing. It 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 is. Anyway, my point was. Um, but what we've learned about her. So so her 
you know, she's from she's from a country notoriously cloaked in mystery and and gothic drama and you know horror story. Yep. Um, she grew up in an environment of um, very extreme conditions. She was tra- I mean, she was programmed from from a little girl. I love stories like that. I yeah. love stories where they like you know they take they take children in these like forgotten or abandoned countries and program them and you see this like sweet innocent face you know grow up and become this machine or whatever and then yeah. the machine discovers it has a heart and blah, 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 blah. like I love stuff like that yeah no so I'm kind of maybe it's just me maybe it's personal maybe I just really want to see more of that story that we saw so much of in Agent Carter as well right and the, and so and it was really interesting there. Right, and I and I think that that's part of it is. What's the ballet thing? What the fuck is that about? It's the red room. That's what they do. They do ballet. Uh, well, they do teach ballet as part of the discipline of their training and their programming. Uh, I think ballet they teach is ballet just to remind us that we're in Russia. I think that's no. really why we're doing that. Well, think about the grace and the discipline that it demands to become. A truly great ballerina. Sure. Those those are some of the traits that you would definitely say that the Black Widow has. Sure. And yeah. and so I think that that's part of the training uh, that they give in the Red Room. But that's um, really that's quite common for stories of female um, Russian secret agents. Uh, Ninochka, which uh, the director's escaping me at the moment, but it was a very popular book and movie um, in the nineteen thirties. Was mm-hmm. um, She's depicted as so she's this Russian agent for um, proletariat, basically, and yeah. and she's also a trained ballerina, yeah. and and in and in that society they're one and the same, right? Really. <laughs> like you can't have one without the other, right? Exactly, and as with all things pop culture, pop culture informs pop culture, and so you have Ninochka in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Then you have Black Widow being created in the 60s and 70s. I guarantee you. Stan Lee and Kirby and you know the people that are creating the characters, you know, took a look at that and said, "Hey, that's actually kind of a cool backstory," and incorporated it into their writing. Yeah. But I think the main thing that I have with the Black Widow is it's not that I don't want to see more of her backstory; it's that I kind of enjoy the feeling of wanting to know more and yeah. getting it given to me in pieces. I don't know. Necessarily, that I would enjoy a Black Widow movie in the same way that I'm going to enjoy a Captain Marvel movie or mm-hmm. something like that, and may and not necessarily because there's not enough material, but you know the Black Widow Black Widow really doesn't have her own villains. Mm-hmm. Um, Captain Marvel, you know, kind of has her own rogues gallery and. Everything like that that they can draw on to, you know, really kind of flesh out the universe. Mm-hmm. I think the problem, part of the problem that Marvel runs into is the fact that they're already starting from their bench in terms of their strong female characters bringing into the Marvel universe. Because they're traditionally their most powerful, their most interesting female characters that have the richest backstory are all collecting dust over a fox. Yeah, that one hurts. Yeah, because I mean, Sue Storm, Storm, oh, uh, Storm, Jean Grey, 
Rogue. I mourn for Storm. Like Jean Grey, you know, Fonka Jansen, or however the fuck you pronounce that woman's name, I'll never get it right. She really, I think she did a beautiful job with Jean Grey and, and Phoenix. I mean, she had it mostly she had just the handicap. with the third movie. She, yeah, she had the handicap of Brian Singer and Brett Ratner. Yeah. Who, in terms of the directors of comic book movies, I mean, Brett Ratner just did The Last Stand, which everyone basically agrees is garbage, and Brian Singer has steadily kind of gotten worse with every X-Men movie he's directed. Yeah. Um, um, Halle Berry as Storm was useless. Right, and Utterly part useless. of... useless, and I blame, I blame that on directing. I really do. I blame like, it on directing, and I blame it on writing, too. Yeah. I mean, we know, you know, Halle Berry's a fucking Oscar. We know she can deliver better than that. Yeah. That's and a director who didn't really give her... And a writer who gave her nothing to work with. And Storm is one of the... She's she's one of the, the original, the longest-lasting, the most powerful... Yeah. And and again, richest back risk richest backstory. Yeah. Pretending that, to be a weather goddess in Africa. Hello. Like yeah. yeah. And they just sort of like, well, she has white hair. That's enough. Yeah. She has white That's, hair, her eyes her turn eyes white when white, she does lightning you know, and stuff like that. She'll have like a sort of accent in the first movie, no accent in the second movie, and we'll cut her hair. And in the third movie Well, whatever. I mean yeah. like it they just thoroughly abandoned this character and it, it was just yeah and that, and that's why I say every studio's got to be held to the same standard because yes Marvel's movies are have been more successful than Fox's movies but you're telling me that Fox with the X-Men couldn't have a billion dollar movie at this point like the reason that they don't have a billion dollar movie is because they're fucking up well, yeah, I mean, but they, they identified their cash cow pretty quickly with the first one. Ah, uh, with Jackman, Hugh yeah. Jackman as Logan and Wolverine, exactly. And they've been they've been milking that cowboy. Right, but I, I think if... The past it, fucking 20 years. Oh, my God, is that possible? Yeah. It is, yeah. We're, we're going on the second decade here. Which is why he's planning on hanging yeah, it up soon. I remember I worked at a video store my freshman year of high school, and we played X Men like on a loop. Yeah. Remember and when video stores existed? <laughs> the uh, and the thing is, is that obviously the X Men, the X Men movies also benefit from an eight year, uh, suffer from an eight year head start on the Marvel movies. Yeah. And I say suffer from because. They didn't have the budget for the special effects that they needed. The CGI wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. And every excuse in the book. But the problem is is that Fox doesn't care about doing characters the right way. Yeah. They care about doing characters. And that, that's where Kevin Feige has an advantage. Where he's actively trying to do right by Black Widow. And do right by Captain Marvel. Because even with the male characters in the X-Men universe. They fucked up Juggernaut. For no reason. Yes, yes they did. They turned Bishop into basically a glorified extra in Days of Future Past. Yeah. Um, who's one of their badass minority oh. characters. You know, basically they've just kind of... They've ruined everyone from Cyclops all the way down. Including... This has been bad news. Including Deadpool released a teaser for their trailer... And in the teaser, yeah. in the teaser, 
Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool says, from the studio that sewed his fucking mouth shut the last time. <laughs> Basically saying, Fox fucked up, and now we're giving you what you want. Like, when you're actively yeah. advertising a movie by saying, hey, we fucked up yeah. ten years ago. I mean, like, and expecting applause for your, you know, charming self-deprecation. Like, yeah. you know, you've made a misstep yeah. somewhere. And I think, unfortunately, for the X-Men, which is one of the greatest stories over the, over the lifetime, they have the greatest treasure trove of stories of alienation, uh, minority oppression, mm-hmm. um, feminism, basically all the diversity that you want exists in the X-Men universe. Yeah. And they've touched Done none of it. nothing with it. Nothing. And... Nothing. And it's a way, especially now when, the, you know, when, uh, you know, not to get, like, deep or anything, but, like, our world is becoming so much more diverse. And the, and the reality is, is that it's always been diverse. This world has always been made up of individuals. It has never been made up of groups. Right. And we've tricked ourselves generation by generation into believing it was made up of clumps of people, groups of people. It has never been. It has always been made up of individuals. And those groups are getting systematically smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's great. Yeah. And And we're relying on these large franchises to coach us through this process. Right. And it's... in And in 2015, it's unacceptable for a franchise to fail. Right. And... And the thing is, is everyone wants, you know, I know you personally, you're not a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise, correct? Not especially, no. Want to know why the Fast and Furious franchise is successful? Tell us, Phil. Uh, It's the franchise that most reflects what America looks like at this point in time, in terms of being a melting pot of races, ages, ethnicities, males, females... Strong characters. Not sexual orientations, though. Not sexual orientations. We have not. We have not hit that point yet. Still, no. I get your um, point, though. I mean, you know, you can't. You can't necessarily fire on all cylinders, but yeah. But at least in terms of like, if you're going to compare the Avengers to the cast of, you know, Fast and Furious, the Avengers are whitewashed as shit. They are. And I think one thing that you're seeing... And they're blaming that on... Well, I don't know if they are, but the the excuse has always been original source material in in images that they're trying to... They're trying to depict. Right. And one of the people who's been kind of getting into this debate a lot online is Chris from uh, Mm -hmm. MovieTrailerViews.net at InsanityReport on on Twitter. He's a movie critic that um, I put a lot of stock in his opinion. Um, one of the things that he was talking about, he's he is still an avid comics reader. I fully admit I do not read the books um, on a regular basis like I used to when I was younger. Um, one of the things that he's been noticing is as Marvel is uh, coming out of event an event where they're basically, you know, there were like five different S- Spider-Men. Mm-hmm. They're narrowing all that shit down so that there's one Spider-Man. The one Spider-Man going forward is going to be Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. Ms. Marvel in the comics is Kamala Khan, who's a uh, young Muslim character. Mm-hmm. And so what Marvel... Basically, Marvel's strategy is they're kind of building through the comics... Through the lesser-known comics. Through the lesser-known comics. But even their main... Spider-Man's... Yeah, all right. Yeah. Spider-Man's yeah, Spider-Man. one of their biggest characters. Sure. 
they're building a following for these um, minority and minority characters, and then what you're going to see is you're going to see Miles Morales make it onto the big screen. You're going to see Kamala Khan make it onto the big screen. Which and that's going to be enormous. Yeah. And a Muslim woman making it onto the big screen. Yeah. Like, that's going to be epic. And that's what I think is cool, is that basically what they're doing is they're saying, yes, we get it, everybody loves Peter Parker. But we're all kind of a little tired of Peter Parker at this yeah, point. Even Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker, which is really... He's sweet. I think it's darling. <laughs> He's sweet. Like I do, I know. I did. Like, and and yeah, it's not. That's not a good enough reason not to move forward. Yeah. That's. He's just so cute. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, but I, I think that the, I think it's an interesting strategy, and you know, Marvel, yes. Marvel's. I'm curious to know what Stan Lee thinks of the, for lack of a better word, diversification of his work. And I and so follow my thought process on this a little bit because I actually have I, I have kind of a roundabout thought, you know way of thinking of it. He he created these comics in the fifties, forties, fifties, sixties. Well, I know, but he, like he was starting them in the forties. Yeah. There's so many references to to World War Two and the Holocaust. I mean, he's been dreaming of this stuff since pretty much the the Third Reich. And so, given the time period that he was in. The people to whom he was exposed, the the cultures to whom he was exposed, where he was growing up, and and also the people to whom he would absolutely have not been exposed, yeah, who would not have had access to this job or that job or this backstory or that backstory, like who just it would not have happened. But we're talking about a very different decade, so they're moving these characters into present time for the most yeah. part they're doing back and forth time stuff and cool but for the most part these are characters with stories in in our lifetime yeah um that to me would seem reason enough to take the we have to make these people look just like the colored pictures in the book off the table so and knowing what you know we all presume to know about stan lee is that he's a very good sport he's yeah. pretty game Mm-hmm. And he likes new things. He likes new ideas. He likes to play. So Absolutely. I'm curious as to why, A, why he, to the best of my knowledge, hasn't made much of a statement about about that idea. And B, I, I just don't know what his opinions are on it. And that, to me, seems a little strange. I think at this point, Stan, Stan Lee's opinions on the Marvel Universe and Marvel Comics in general are pretty much whatever... Marvel corporate tells them that they are while well, uh, they're signing his check. Right, exactly. Um, much as I love Stan Lee, he's been he's ninety he's ninety years old. He's been a figurehead for a long time. He's ninety years old, but he's still he's still participating in his oh, yeah. work. Oh no, I I, I yeah. agree with that. I I think it's something that he would definitely support. I think and he's such a down guy. Like he's so like he was in fucking Big Hero Six. Yep. Like, yeah. As a cartoon, talking about his underwear, like the, this guy is in is down for whatever. Like, oh yeah, he just he so, has fun with it. Um, I think, I think what his opinion on at least in terms of, uh, in terms of the characters, is that he believe he would believe in making the characters uh, it, that it doesn't matter what race they are 
or what gender they are, mm-hmm. as long as it's not something that's important to the character. Right, but like that's kind of what I'm saying. Someone like Falcon, Sam Wilson, yeah. uh, traditionally it's been very important to his character that he is a black character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he grew up in Harlem. There's, uh, there's a huge length of backstory where being black is extremely important to that character. So you should not make Sam Wilson a white man. Captain America, it's very important that he actually yeah. is a white man. Sure. Uh, because of what he was supposed to represent. Yeah. And where he and where he grew up and his yeah. position in the military. And I understand that as well. Right. And it makes sense for Thor to be a great big blonde dude. You know, right. it makes sense... It even makes sense for Tony Stark to be a white man because of his father. Right. And his prominence in a time period where Hawkeye, however, could be whatever the fuck he wanted. Could be whatever the fuck he wanted to be. The Hulk could be whatever the fuck he wanted him to be. Yeah. There's no. Yeah, as long as he's a skinny fucking nerd. There's no reason for him not to be a white man, but there's no specific reason for him to be a white man. To be fair, the Hulk is a giant fucking green Green man, I understand. So exactly. He's already a man of color. Right. Bruce Bruce Banner, (laughs) I think, you know, Bruce Banner would be the argument. And I would agree with you that Bruce Banner could be ultimately whatever color or gender you want him to be. In fact, there is a character. I've never met a black man named Bruce. Never ever met a black man named Bruce. Not likely to happen. But you never Um, know. And, in fact, there's even a character in the Marvel Universe named Jennifer Walters, who is a extremely high-powered attorney, who is mm-hmm. the She-Hulk. Yep. Um, now, I don't know if at any point they have her in the plans, but I'm sure that they do to some extent. I'm sure, I'm sure the name Jennifer Walters has crossed the desk of Kevin Feige at some point in this planning process. Okay. I think the one thing is... You know, I could definitely, I can definitely say Marvel could have done more to say get the Wasp in the original Avengers movie, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, basically, and and Henry Pym and told the story in a traditional sense where because the original Avengers team was the Wasp, yep. Ant Man. Um, Thor, Captain America, the Hulk, etc., etc. Yeah, they definitely could have done that. And Joss Whedon's excuse was that he wrote a draft with the Wasp in it, and it was way too Wasp heavy, and so he cut her out. Yeah, but um, well, at this point, Joss Whedon has nothing to prove. Right? No, I I agree. A little bit maybe with his with the race, thing. but he's yeah. a, he's a little white heavy as well. But like. But gender-wise, he has nothing to prove. No, no, I I agree with you. You know, because, you know, Joss made that decision, mm-hmm. it then delays the plans. Because now you're planning, you have to plan sequels for whatever you're doing, and maybe you're introducing characters ahead of time in those sequels. Um, like they're going to do with the Black Panther. The Black Panther will be in the Civil War movie mm-hmm. um, ahead of his own movie. Um, Spider-Man is going to be in the Civil War movie ahead of his own movie. I think it's. I think that decision ultimately set Marvel back in terms of the way that their diversities come across on screen. But I still trust that they have a plan and that they're correcting it. So, can we talk about Tilda Swinton for half a second? Speaking of gender diversity in the Marvel Cinematic Absolutely. Universe. We'll talk Tilda Swinton. For those who aren't aware, she's going to be playing the Ancient One, 
in the Doctor Strange movie, which will be coming out in 2016. The Ancient One being a traditionally Tibetan stereotype character. Sort of like um, Jaime in Kill Bill. Exactly. You know, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The flowing beard. Yeah, the, the Fu Manchu the, mustache that goes the on forever. Vi- the vaguely robes. East Asian wisdom. Yeah, he's in robes. Yeah. For some reason. But right. But no. We're going to have Tilda. Right. And we have no idea what Tilda will look like in the movie because... Because we have no idea what Tilda's going to look like tomorrow. Right. So. She showed up in Trainwreck and I had no fucking idea it was her for like yeah. ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, and that's kind of... Yeah, she's... She's... I mean, it... it it sounds like an excuse, but she's just one of those actors who is a physical comedian, who is not really, she's not really fish or fowl. She, she's kind of whatever she needs to be whenever she needs to be it. Yeah. It's, and I'm trying to sort of liken her to somebody, but I, I can't really. She's just so, it's partly her physical appearance, which is, which is just an accident of birth, really, yeah. that she has... You know, an androgynous face, relatively androgynous body. Um, she's quite thin, so she can kind of resemble any age. Yeah. Um, you know, she's not especially developed anywhere in particular, so she doesn't. She kind of has that otherworldly thing going for her, which for that sort of character, I think much can be made of that. She's also very much a blank slate. Like you could, you know, she for um, Narnia, she became. This crazy, crazy virgin version of the yeah, version of the White Witch. Yeah. Um, for uh, I know you, I know you hate Wes Anderson. I know, and I, I do. I know, but for um, talking Grant, about whitewashing. Yeah. Well. Yep. Um, but I, but I'm, I'm a Wes Anderson fan, artistically speaking. So we're just, but we're not going to go there anyway. Yeah. Um, in Grand Budapest Hotel. She plays a very like elderly dowager woman with pounds of makeup and prosthetics on. Her. Yeah, and and she sold that too. Like she just she's no, she's a tremendous she's a, actor. Yeah, she but she's also like she's a coat rack with a head. Like she's kind of just like put stuff on me. Yeah. I'll do whatever. Well, I think in general the Doctor Strange movie is actually very interesting because one of the other things that they're doing is the traditional rival of Doctor Strange is the villainous Baron Mordo mm-hmm. um, who will be played by Chiwetel Ejiofor. Um, Baron Mordo being, again, a traditionally white character. Yep. And so what I like about it is, because I also read a think piece talking about um, Ant-Man, Scott Lang, and Paul Rudd and saying, you know, Ant-Man's one of those characters nobody really cares about. Why couldn't we have cast him as a black man instead of Paul Rudd? Mm-hmm. Which I think is approaching it in the wrong way. Because that's basically saying, nobody gives a shit about this character, so let's make him black just because. Whereas I think, I feel like the approach from Marvel with with Chiwetel as Baron Mordo is, we need a really good character to carry this role. We're going to get a fantastic actor in Chiwetel Ejiofor. And we're going to get the best actor we have available. Who gives a shit what race, gender... Which is on... Which which should be how every role is cast. Right. And and in a perfect world, it would it would truly be that way. Right. And I, th- um, I think, again, Marvel doesn't do it every time. You know, but I mean... It, 
I understand the I understand the, the frustration with the preoccupation of evening the score versus just setting a better example going forward. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if we're if we're concerned about evening the score, then I, I feel like I feel like that is almost that almost becomes the enemy of equality in a right. way. Right. Um, That's why I say that Ant Man piece was incredibly misguided. It just sort of missed the point. Yeah, but also, I mean, I feel like Paul Rudd—he's insanely popular right now. He is a very good actor, but he was also, you know, he was a dice roll as well. He's a comic actor. Yeah. And and you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe is, has had their actors um, really running the gamut emotionally. So the comedy is absolutely there. I mean, there's a lo- there's brilliant comedic moments in all of these movies. Yeah. But there have also been really dark moments as well, and the, these actors need to be able to to go very far in both directions. And we haven't really seen Paul Rudd do that. No, we haven't. We haven't really and seen for, him for quite some time. Even in Ant Man, we don't really see. You know, the last time I saw Paul Rudd do that, the object of my affection. That's probably, yeah. Where he played Jennifer Aniston's gay best friend who she was in love with. He was going through some sort of personal crisis, and he did it very, very well. He did it yes. exceptionally well. Yeah. It wasn't a good movie, but he did it that well. It was not a good movie, but it was an excellent <laughs> performance, I yeah. thought. No, uh, and and I think, and I, you know, I said we don't, we don't even see really in the Ant-Man movie, uh, we don't really see him touch that darkness, which is why I think... Civil War is going to be a very interesting movie for him. Mm-hmm. In part because the reason that Marvel wanted to introduce Scott Lang into the MCU was because he's a very different type of superhero. He has a daughter. He has a criminal background. So he's not he's not your traditional goody-two-shoes kind of law-abiding... Who was the villain... In one of in the in Spider Man, one of the Tobey Maguire Spider Mans, played by Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, um, Sand. Yeah, it was the Sandman. Yeah, I forget exactly. Yeah, kind of like the same exact thing. Yeah, I forget what they called him, Marco something or whatever. But yeah, Sandman. But yeah, a similar kind of thing, except basically really trying hard to prove that he's a hero for the sake of his daughter. Yeah. And so they wanted to introduce him because he played into their plans for Civil War because you have all these law-abiding type characters like who's going to help Captain America if he's on the run from the law? Well, probably yeah. the guy who doesn't really like the law to begin with. So let's give him a friend. And I, and and he and he was priceless as well. Like that whole thing was just Yeah. It was so great. but I but I think it's going to be uh, very interesting work for him in Civil War, and he, actually, he even said he didn't really feel like he was a like a superhero in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Until he started filming his scenes for Civil War, and all of a sudden he's acting across Captain America, and yeah, like people are calling him Ant Man on set, and he's like, "Holy shit, I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually here!" Like, uh, so I'm looking forward to you know strong performances from him. But I'm also I'm also really looking forward to Marvel diversifying it. I love I love the character of the Black Panther. I've always loved that character, in part because he's one of those few guys who's willing to tell everyone to fucking go to hell. Yeah. Like 
Tony Stark has, you know, kind of run roughshod over this group of Avengers, Black Panther will get in his face and just be like, no, fuck off. Yeah, I mean, and which is great. I mean, which, which, that's, that's kind of been one of the more charming parts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is when they're sort of sparring against each other and the audience gets a, you know, cute little thrill. Yeah. About like, oh my god, he doesn't know that. You know. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of fun and they're certainly good playing into that. No, they are. And it, and again, I think, I, I think the point is that you kind of. I think Kevin Feige has earned a, a certain amount of leeway in terms of the fact that he is turning out quality movie after quality movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that you look at his, you look at what we know of his plan through. I think we've seen the plan through twenty twenty one. He's been quoted as saying they have plans through 2028. Uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, don't, I don't plan on living that long. <laughs> I know, seriously. But, so we have everything. Sure, we ha- we've, we've seen whatever movies are going to be coming out through Infinity War. Yeah. For the most part. And, you know, you look at what's ahead. And I say, okay... I see what you're going to be doing, and I actually think we're going to see a lot more strong, uh, diverse characters come into come into the films. I mean, Marvel's. I don't want to get. I actually don't really want to give Marvel a whole lot of credit for the Thor movies. In ter- in terms of diversity, they did cast Idris Elba as. Um, yeah. Uh, the Watchmen there, which they caught a lot of flack for. They Very did, weirdly. originally. And it, I mean... It's because it was still in that pre-Avengers... Like a, yeah, and I feel like it was kind of an experiment to see if they would catch flack for it. I mean, yeah. you know, pretty expensive experiment, but... Yeah. Um, still, but the problem like, is... Whether or not they could live with it, you know? Yeah. The problem is, is that Which, they make Jane Foster such a damsel in distress wet blanket through both movies that... I, kind of undo, undoes whatever goodwill I have for the Idris Elba so casting. So I, I just Natalie Portman is terrible. Like I just think she's terrible. I really do. I I, I don't. Not, and a, not a Black Swan fan. I thought she did a beautiful job in Black Swan. I thought she did a beautiful job when she was twelve years old in The Professional or Leon, depending yeah. on your nationality. Um, she's she's a, an excellent actress. She's a very beautiful actress. But there are certain things she's she just ain't good at, and one of them is the romantic comedy. Uh, one of them is the dopey girlfriend, the dopey kind of nerdy, anxious girlfriend. Well, yeah, it's actually kind of interesting that. In oh, I thought honestly. Um, oh no, it wasn't. For some reason, I just I just had a total like brain fart and thought that Aubrey Plaza played her assistant, but it wasn't. It was Kat Demings. Yeah, it was Kat Dennings who played the assistant, who some people love and some people fucking hate for her. Well, the char- I mean, it's, a, it's a terrible character, but yeah. it's fun. It's still fun. I think yeah. she's fun in it um, as that. But I, I think what's interesting with Natalie Portman, just as you were kind of pointing out the romantic comedy thing, she's essentially the love interest for Thor yep. in the movies, which is supposed to tie him to Earth and teach him to love the people of Earth. I'd be avoiding that girl. If uh, which which was the one that she did? Was it No Strings Attached? 
Yeah, I think. Or, um, or it was either that or friends. Yeah, doesn't matter. The two movies it that came out at the same fucking time matter. Either with, way, yeah, with the two King. people who are married now, but from the different movies. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. Um, and the uh, Isn't that precious. The character of Jane Foster is almost kind of the same between those two movies. Yeah, where it's basically and she's like super, super neurotic, no people skills. She, like, you know who she's playing. In both of those movies, I'll tell you right now exactly what she's playing in both of those movies. She's playing a single girl. It's rough. She's playing a single girl, and it's hard to be a single girl, and nobody really... Oh, gosh. It's just... Oh, you're so handsome, and I don't... I don't know. I'm just so bad at this, and... Oh, this yeah. is... This is hard. I... You know I better just I really go do like my job. Science. I better be, just go do my job for like forty-five minutes. Yeah, and, like, and be you know an excellent um, you know punch a really, a really on the gifted iPad. scientist yeah. somehow. I'm gonna punch buttons on my iPad. Yeah, right. But no, that's that's kind of exactly what she's doing. It kind of sucks. Yeah, she's an Amy Schumer parody waiting to happen. Yeah, but I think I think the future is a lot brighter. And I honestly, even at Fox. If they can get the X Men away from Brian Singer, yeah, I, I think the future will be <laughs> Just brighter. Wrestle it away from it. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. you look at Josh Trank and the Fantastic Four, which comes out this Friday. Um, I can't wait to see it. There's been a lot of production issues, supposedly, yeah, but they imagine. also took the very uh, progressive stance of having Sue Storm and Johnny Storm, who are brother and sister, be an interracial brother and sister. Kate Mara oh, plays still Sue Storm. And sister. Yep, they're still brother and oh. sister. And the interesting piece is, so if you have a white a white daughter and a black son, what would the traditional trope be? The black son is the adopted one. They turn that around, and their dad is a black man. So Johnny is the. So under- they're step siblings. Yeah, they're step siblings. I see. Um, oh. Cool, why the hell not? I mean, it looks a hell of a lot more like, you know, typical family in America now, anyway. Right, exactly. And to be honest, Michael B. Jordan is one of the most fantastic young actors that's out there. So again, it's the situation of, if you, you can get him... You say that about anybody who came out of Friday Night Lights. Um, Friday Night Lights and The Wire, thank you. Okay, sorry. Don't forget Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you look at that cast... You have Miles Teller coming off Whiplash. Yep. You have Kate Mara, who's, uh, I think her big thing recently was the um, Netflix House of Oh my god, are we both blanking? House of Cards, on House of Cards. Jesus, what the fuck happened there? Most fucking famous show in America right now. I haven't seen it yet. Um, what? Yeah. I'm busy. God, I gotta I watch know. all these superhero shows, come on. You have the three of them as kind of the core of your story. Like any director, producer in America would love to have those three people at the at the center of their story. Yeah, definitely. And so I think you know it's a good job by Fox, and I hope the movie does well because I want I want this behavior to be encouraged. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's definitely there. This is how change happens. It really is. It's fits and starts. You know, yeah. and and it's it's the unusual becoming more common until it becomes usual until it becomes boring. Yeah, and then something else happens. Yeah, it just 
it's very sad to see that for the longest time we were still stuck at the point in movies where, you know, guess who's coming to dinner? Yeah. Including remaking Guess Who's Coming oh, to we're Dinner. Oh, let us not speak of it. Let us not <laughs> speak of it. Yeah. Taking that beautiful... Hollywood, you fucked up? Cinematic masterpiece You're and turning it into up. that. Yeah. Oh, God. But yeah, I think... I think there's room to be room for room to be encouraged. Certainly. In terms of what we're seeing going forward, and like I said, let's not let Marvel off the hook. Let's not let Fox off the hook. Let's demand better. Yeah, let's keep holding them to a higher and higher standard. And but it's they're crawling towards it. You know, this is an upswing. I think it's a good thing. But we just you know we just can't. Nobody can afford to relax. Right. And you know let's let's not. You know, one of the things you know, everybody let's let's not move the goalposts when we're talking about each subsequent movie, but yeah. let's make sure that we hit the goal, then we move the goalposts. Yeah. You know, you say, okay, we want strong female characters. Okay, let's give you Almost strong female characters. Count in this, yeah. At all. Let's get strong female characters, then we'll move on to the next thing that we need to get done. Yeah. Uh, I think too often we're willing to say, okay. You have a strong female character. That's 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 yeah. good. No, and that's you know we had we we put a black guy in there. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, way back there. Exactly, he's the one holding the gun. He's a superhero. Yeah, I think his name is Jamal. Like, yeah. no, we can't be. No, it's racist. Yes, it is racist. I that's agree. <laughs> fucking Hollywood. That's, that's my why Bishop point. made me so like, mad. Yeah. Like, watching watch X-Men Days of Future Past, which is a movie that a lot of people really like, but I fucking hate. Alright. I'm just going on record as saying that, because I know some people like it, for whatever reason. Nobody in this room. Fucking hate that movie. The, uh... The, the only pl- thing I liked about that movie was Time in a Bottle. <laughs> and yeah. I'll like that part forever. Yeah. I would be happy if that was the whole movie. Yeah. Just but those... Three slow motion minutes. Yeah. Uh, but like, if we're gonna, we're, if we're gonna put into the e, you know, e online, e weekly, whatever. Yeah. Spread, you know, big pictures of Bishop saying, "Oh, Bishop comes to the big screen." Oh boy. Like, let's. I don't know. Give him a line. Like, I did the man nice. even get his fucking sad card for that you know, shit? Yeah. We don't want miracles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, shit, man. Uh, so, yeah. I'm... Uh, Brian Singer, give the X-Men back so we we can have Fox do some good shit. That's that's going to be my parting word for, to, for today. Uh, Kate, I, I'd like to thank you for indulging me on this. My pleasure. It was fun. Um, you were indulging me just as much, so... And uh, Kate is going to be in the upcoming Radium Girls. Yep, Radium for Girls. For Flat Earth Theater. Yep, um, that is going to be at the Charlestown Working Theater. Uh, It runs from September 4th to September 19th. Um, Tickets are available at flatearth.ticketleap.com. It's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. Nice. And it's actually, I believe it's the first all-female cast of this particular show? It is. Well, I don't know if it's the first um, ever done. It's certainly, I believe, the first done... um, it's not the first all-female cast done by this company, but this play is new for them. And, okay. and doing this cast um, 
as all female is quite unusual because there are a decent amount of male characters in it. Um, I play two of them, so there you go. Fun. Yeah. So if you're looking to get your diversity fix, your uh, feminism mm-hmm. fix, come see Radium Girls yeah. Flat Earth Theater. Thank you. And uh, until next time, this is the Downward Spiral Podcast. Hit me up at at Asteroid Phil S, and I will be happy to block anybody who thinks that Marvel's not doing enough for women. <laughs> <laughs>